0: Hey, what's going on everyone? We're going to get into another episode of CamCast pretty soon. We're heading into episode 9. Uh, before I tell you a little bit about the episode, I want to thank everybody that has been listening so far to the other 8 episodes in the library, that have been you know, subscribing to the podcast, that have been liking or uh, commenting on the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that have been sharing the podcast to your friends and family, and that have been you know, engaging with me in conversations on my Instagram. You know, it's, I've, I've been having a really good time with all of this, and, you know, if you want to engage in those conversations on Instagram, go ahead and follow me at cam.cast, that's K-A-M dot K-A-S-T. Uh, yeah, I know cast is with a K, but I like the alliteration of having the same letter twice, and, you know, my name starts with a K in case, I guess it wasn't obvious before because it's in the fucking title. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm having fun, and today we're going to have a lot more fun. We're gonna start getting into some of the things that I really love to talk about, which are the MCU movies, uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. And this was a request from a loyal listener and friend of the channel, uh, Mr. Tommy Croft, who hit in the DMs last week and said, when I put out a a questionnaire asking what you guys want me to talk about, he was like, "Why don't you talk about MCU movies?" And I was like, "You know what? Why not? I love the MCU movies. You know, I." I've watched every single MCU movie multiple times. I own all of them on DVD, and I've watched them unapologetically at least five times each. You know, all of them, even Thor The Dark World, which I don't think is a particularly good movie. And definitely the weakest of the MCU movies. But, you know, it goes back to I used to drag my brother and sister when they were, you know, I think my brother was in ninth grade. My sister was, uh, you know, eighth grader in junior high. And back in 2012 to the first Avengers premiere. So the MCU, it, it runs very deep for me. You know the MCU is, is something that I talk about all the time. I theorize with my friends, and I just get I really nerd out about this shit. Um, the MC, it's I don't know I just it's it's the, what they've been able to do over you know twelve years and put out twenty four films or however many it is twenty three or twenty four. It honestly is it's amazing and it's it's kind of fun. So that'll bring us to our our, our topic for today's podcast. You know, it's, it's going to be Iron Man. I'm going to talk about Iron Man, the first Iron Man from 2008, the very first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, you know, from there on, I'm going to do my best to get all of the MCU movies done before the release of Black Widow. You know, obviously with COVID going on, we're not sure when Black Widow is actually going to get released. Um, I'm, I, th- I think it's going to be about the end of November. So hopefully in that time frame, I can get all the MCU movies out of the way and talked about. Uh, before we get going on with the MCU. On top of that, also doing my sports podcast and everything like that. But, uh, all right, let's get going on the uh, Iron Man talk. Let's do it, guys. All right, guys, welcome again to episode nine of the podcast, the Camcast. And tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about Iron Man, the 2008 superhero blockbuster classic that's just been, you know, it, it was the, the culmination, or not the culmination, it was the, the introduction of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, before it really was a Marvel Cinematic Universe, you know. When this movie came out, no one knew what was going on, no one really had heard of the character Iron Man, you know, me included, I wasn't as into, you know, superheroes and stuff at that age. Uh, this came out when I was a freshman in high school. Uh, you know, 2008, and I, I had no idea who Iron Man was. I'm not even going to lie to you guys and pretend like I did. I honestly had no idea. And, you know, growing up in the you know late 90s, early 2000s, I grew up watching, you know, the X-Men and Spider-Man, those cartoons. And then eventually those two entities became movies. You know, Sony had the Spider-Man Sam Raimi trilogy with Tobey Maguire when that came out in 2002. I believe that was in third grade. And then Fox Studios came out with the X-Men in 2000. And, you know, those were kind of, those were the movie, the uh, the superhero movies that I grew up with originally were those two. And then in 2005, uh, they had Batman Begins, and 2008 was actually The Dark Knight and Iron Man. So I, I think that 2008 is really when the superhero blockbuster movie became a big deal. You know, before that, they had, you know, movies like, obviously, like I said, X-Men, X2, X3, The Last Stand. The Spider-Man trilogy, you know, in the early 90s, they had the Batman movies where, you know, one of those is a good, but other three are kind of unwatchable and they're actually like really bad. Um, they had Daredevil in, I think, 2004. Uh, Electra was a movie. They had the original Hulk, the Eric Bana movie uh, directed by Ang Lee, which is like unwatchable. It's actually really bad. It's like, I remember it being just horrible, right? But 2008, you know, you have Iron Man and the Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan classic, kind of going, I think they came out within a month or two of each other. And, and, you know, it was it was actually, it was a big deal. So Iron Man was a big deal because, like I said before, nobody knew, you know, a lot about this, this character, you know, but it was a big deal because Robert Downey Jr. was playing him. And even at that time, I didn't really know who Robert Downey Jr. was either. You know, I was only 15 years old. I wasn't, I, I wasn't really into movies at this time yet, right? This is the movie that really set me over the top and was like, "Okay, hey, like this is pretty awesome, you know? This is really cool how they were able to create something like this." And I think that this this particular movie and maybe also the Harry Potters are what really got me into like following series of movies and getting into movies and stuff like that. But you know, this movie in particular, it's it was it was made and oh, and it was the first. Uh, movie produced by Marvel Studios Uh, Marvel Studios they so the way Marvel works in the history Marvel was going bankrupt in the I believe it was the eight late 80s early 90s so what they did was they started selling away their properties or I guess loaning them out to different movie studios so that way they can make money so they loaned out spider-man to Sony they loaned out the Fantastic Four and the X-Men to, uh, to Fox Studios. They loaned out Hulk to Universal Pictures. They loaned out, I believe, Daredevil to uh, Universal Pictures as well because Marvel was, they were struggling. They were really struggling for a long time. They weren't doing very well successfully. You know, so they weren't doing successful. They didn't have any movies to their name. They were basically living off of their comic books and they weren't in a position to have a movie studio where they could go ahead and create or use their characters to create movies and stuff like that. So they have to loan off their characters in order to stay afloat. And it's, and, you know, that was, I did a little bit of research on that. I've known that for a couple of years actually, but it's kind of interesting, you know, Marvel almost went completely bankrupt in the early nineties, if not for, you know, the X-Men uh, being so commercially successful and for Spider-Man being so commercially successful, you know, 2000 and 2002 respectively. But, you know. Eventually, Marvel made a ton of money off of those licensings from Fox and from Sony, and they were able to kind of put together their first original movie on their own with their own character, you know, being Iron Man. And Iron Man was kind of seen as like a, a B or C list hero. You know, he wasn't, he's not like a Spider Man, he's not a Captain America or a Hulk, but there was a, a certain drama element to this character. You know, Tony Stark, the, the main, you know, who's Iron Man. He has a really troubled past. He deals with alcoholism. He's very narcissistic. But he's not, you know, your prototypical superhero. He's more like Batman in this regard where he uses his mind to his mind is his greatest superhero. I guess Batman is like a detective. Like that's like his whole thing. But Tony Stark is one, he's, you know, genius. He's literally a genius. They say it in the comics, they say it in the movies all the time. But also he's incredibly wealthy, much like Bruce Wayne is. So he's able to invent his own technology and stuff like that to basically make himself become a superhero. So when this movie came out, it was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, it's, I don't know, it's it's just one of those things where the, the marketing was really good, it looked really exciting, and it looked great. So you know, to break down the cast a little bit, the cast for this movie is not huge. You know, it's there are a lot of you know ensemble characters, but you got your main core players in this. You got Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark or Iron Man. You got Terrence Howard playing James Rody Rhodes, AKA Colonel Rhodes. You have Jeff Bridges playing Obadiah Stane, or a.k.a. the Ironmonger. And you have Gwyneth Paltrow playing Pepper Potts. You know, so this movie has two characters in it. Well, actually, okay, well, it has three characters in it that have, you know, gone through the entirety, the longevity of the MCU. Now, I say three characters because technically it is three characters. But Terrence Howard, this is his only movie where he plays Rhodey. In Iron Man 2, Don Cheadle takes over the mantle of Rhodey, which was kind of jarring when you see Iron Man 2. But you know, it is what it is. I think there was like a contract dispute. He was mad about the amount of money that he was getting, and there was a big issue between him and RDJ. But I mean, I'll talk about that a little bit later. So the way Iron Man goes down is, you know, it, it opens up, and uh, you learn pretty quickly that Tony Stark is he's he's a playboy. You know, he's a narcissist. Uh, his father, basically. Started this company that provides uh, military-grade warfare for the U.S. Army, and uh, he's out in the Middle East and he's doing a weapons uh, demonstration. And basically, his caravan gets ambushed by you know these uh, these terrorists, and so Tony Stark gets held captive in this cave somewhere in the Middle East, and uh, he's cleaning the life. You know, there's they hook him hook up his heart to a battery because there's shrapnel that's inching its way closer into his heart. And the battery is connected to an electromagnet that's in his chest, which repels the shrapnel from going into his heart. So literally, there's pieces of metal trying to make their way into his chest at all times. And they're trying to kill him, but that thing that's connecting it to him is, is literally, you know, keeping him okay. So this is kind of where, you know, he's, he's put in this, this horrible situation. And he meets a scientist within his within the cave. And together, they kind of create this uh, this suit. Now, the reason that we're able, why they're able to create this suit is because the people in the cave, they want Tony Stark to make them weapons. So they keep bringing him a whole bunch of stuff, and then eventually what he does is he makes a, a suit that he can get into that's weapons you know, tested, and he basically breaks out of the suit, or breaks out of the, uh, the cave with the suit on, and he's able to escape. So the first thing that he does is, is he realizes that his weapons are being sold to terrorists, and he's not sure how that happens. You know, that's like the main, the driver of this entire movie is he has no idea how his weapons are getting in the hands of people that don't need to be having them, that are, you know, hell-bent on destroying people, destroying lives, and destroying the world. So what he does is he takes it upon himself to build his own suit, you know, his Iron Man suit to basically get his weapons back and make the world a little bit safer, and It's really interesting because the way that they portray Tony in the first fifteen to twenty minutes of this movie is like I said before, he's a narcissist, all he cares about is himself, all he cares about is or himself, all he cares about is money, you know, wealth, power, all that stuff. But him being in that cave and, you know, on the verge of death, it really you know, it, it it makes him feel human. You know, it really does. And Robert Denny Jr. does such a fantastic job portraying somebody in distress portraying somebody who's you know been through a lot uh, not just from that cave but in life in general you know life in general you can tell that he's he's had a tough relationship with his father you can tell that he's had some substance abuse issues and he's willing to turn an eye on all that stuff because he knows that something is wrong and he needs to fix it and I don't know it's 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 really interesting and I think that they chose the right actor to do this so if you don't know Robert Danny jr. went through a very very dark past. You know, he came up as a great, you know, promising actor in the 80s. And I think he was nominated for an Academy Award for his portrayal of Charlie Chaplin and Chaplin. Um, But he went through a substance abuse issue, I guess, stage where he was just all all kinds of drugs, you know, having a tough time. And he was basically out of Hollywood for forever. So what happened was he, in 2008, he accepted the role of Iron Man. And in that same year, he accepted a role as uh, in, in, in Tropic Thunder where he's a dude playing a dude disguised as another dude, you know. So 2008 is kind of seen as the renaissance of Robert Downey Jr. where he gets back into everybody's lives and you just completely beloved for the characters he became that summer. You know, that you had Iron Man in May, you know, and he kills it as Iron Man, completely, you know, kills it as Iron Man to the point where if they were to ever recast Iron Man... There's no way that anybody else could play him. You know, it's kind of like, it's an iconic role. But then he was also able to basically be the main guy in Tropic Thunder and be the main reason why people are laughing their ass off in the theater. You know, Robert Downey Jr. really brought it that summer and you can tell that he had really turned the corner in his life and it was good. You know, it's, it's really interesting because the more I read about, you know, some of the production of this movie, the more I got interested because the Marvel executives didn't think that this movie would work. They honestly weren't sure and they definitely didn't know that they would be able to spawn a Marvel Cinematic Universe around it. You know, where they could have all these characters interacting with each other and they could eventually have Avengers movies and, you know, characters can sneak into each other's movies and stuff like that. They had no idea. So they made this movie as a one-off. I mean, it really was. I mean, the idea was to, you know, be able to have a, a cinematic universe where you could have all those comic book characters interact, but they didn't treat that movie like that. They wanted this movie to be... A one-off and they picked an excellent director to do that i haven't mentioned him yet but john favreau john favreau directed iron man one and he directed iron man two and john favreau is honestly a very underrated director he's he's kind of a genius you know he's made films like he made swingers he made elf he made one of my all-time cult classics which is chef um, but john favreau really directs this movie really well and he's in it too he plays happy hogan which is uh, iron man's uh i guess his his chauffeur slash best friend slash bodyguard type thing so, anyways, back to you know the plot of the movie. Uh, you know, you wind up figuring out that the reason why Middle Eastern uh, terrorist groups have these Stark Tech or Stark Industries weapons is because Jeff Bridges' character Obadiah Stane is selling it to them illegally. And uh, once Tony finds this out, it's a little too late. Uh, Obadiah, he kind of he has this nanotech which is able to paralyze Tony, and he takes his his centrifuge out of his heart. Right of his chest, and it basically cripples Tony. Um, but it's uh, it's it's tough it, because basically Obadiah Stane was kind of like the older brother to Tony Stark, and they kind of show you that a little bit. Uh, Obadiah Stane took over Stark Industries once uh, Tony's dad uh, died, and they were kind of waiting on Tony Stark to get old enough to take over the company from Obadiah at you know whenever he was able to after college or whatever. But you always got that feeling. Based off of how the movie portrays it, that Jeff, that uh, that Obadiah and Tony were were very close. So you can only imagine how it is for Tony finding out that you know his best friend, AKA his, you know his mentor, backstabbed him. You know, sold high grade you know weapons to terrorists. You know, because he said that he would sell it to the highest bidder. And basically, that war was good. You know, because when war is happening, it means people are buying you know weapons, and that's good for business for Stark Industries. And meanwhile, you know, after Tony had his whole ordeal in the cave, uh, he has no interest in selling weapons like that anymore. So it's kind of interesting. So the movie kind of culminates with a final battle with Iron Man, a.k.a. Tony Stark, versus Iron Monger, which is Jeff, uh, Jeff Bridges' character. And Jeff Bridges is able to create his own uh, iron suit, and it's like four times bigger than Iron Man's, which it's kind of fun because he knows he has to build a suit to be able to fight Iron Man. Um, but there was a funny line where... Uh, it's. It's. I think it's my favorite line in the movie, where Obadiah he's talking to a scientist and the scientist is trying to figure out how Tony Stark made this, you know, suit and that, you know, and the guy's having a tough time being able to design it, and then Obadiah says, "Tony Stark made this in a cave, with a bunch of scraps." You know, it's just like it's just that's a line where you know Obadiah is supposed to be a genius and the movie portrays him out to be that way, but. It really shows you how smart Tony Stark really is, how savvy he is, how brilliant his mind is, and I think that that, that's I think that's my favorite line in the whole movie. Um, but it it culminates in that whole fight and Iron Man wins and he kills Obadiah Stane and you know it's 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 good. So the interesting about the the part where this movie breaks all the, the stereotypical superhero rules is at the very end. Tony Stark is having a press conference to talk about what happened at his his uh, his center, his research and development center for Stark Industries. And basically they're saying, you know, the press is saying, you know, we saw flying suits. Is there any truth to that? And, you know, they're saying like uh, there was some type of Iron Man. And then basically Tony kind of like looks, he looks at Happy Hogan, he looks at Pepper. And the movie ends with Tony Stark literally saying, I am Iron Man. And then it cuts to black. You know, it's just... That had never been done in any type of movie. It's, it's any type of superhero movie. Always in superhero movies up to that point, you the superhero always made sure to keep his identity a secret. This is the first time that a movie actually was like, you know what? No, we're gonna we're gonna show you exactly who it is. And even then, you're still not gonna be able to kill or stop this guy because he's Tony Stark, and he's gonna outsmart you. I don't know. It just I thought it was really interesting because it kind of, and, and especially him saying "I am Iron Man." You know, spoiler alert: if you haven't seen Endgame yet, those are also Tony Stark's final words in the MCU before he dies after sacrificing himself for you know to kill Thanos to save you know the entire planet of Earth. But I don't know. It just it's really interesting how they did that, and I, I really love it. Um, another thing that was interesting about this movie is the end credit scene. This is the very first end credit scene before the MCU was the MCU, but it was really interesting. So what happens is the very end of the credits, uh, you hear a voice and it's a familiar voice, and he he says something like, "Do you think you're the only superhero per- or super person in this?" And he talks about he talks about a web crawler, he talks about a couple of other things, and he, the guy turns around, at Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury, who we know today as the leader of Shield. You know, Nick Fury was from the comics, but. You know, then, you know, Tony Stark says, you know, what are you doing here? And then Nick Fury says, I'd like to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. So this is back in 2008, you know, and... Marvel wasn't sure what was going to happen with this movie they weren't sure if it was going to be successful and it was successful it made $585 million at the box office with a $140 million budget so it was successful it was a, it was a financial juggernaut it was a uh, uh, a ratings juggernaut from you know a critic perspective everybody loved this movie I think it got like 91 or 92% of Rotten Tomatoes which I mean doesn't mean a lot a lot of the time but if the Rotten Tomatoes score and the user score which is how users rate it are really high it's typically a good movie I believe the user score in the low 90s as well but you know with Marvel Studios not really knowing and they're not really technically Marvel Studios at this point it was Marvel Production Company which is the Marvel Studios not like how they are today where it's their literal own studios and they produce and film the movies themselves but Marvel not knowing how this movie would turn out and basically putting in that nice easter egg at the end you're kind of like and me I when I first watched this when I was a freshman in high school I didn't know what the Avengers were I didn't know what it was. I had no idea who was in it. I I just didn't know anything about that. So this is kind of where my life kind of entered, where I started researching as much as I could about superheroes, about Marvel characters, about the Avengers, about the Avengers villains, about who joins the team, who's possibly in the team. So for me... This movie is where my nerddom and my fandom came from, and I think it's really cool to be able to find that that inflection point in my life where I became really passionate about movies and passionate about this particular set of movies that have been, you know, set forth by Marvel Studios and brilliant producer Kevin Feige. You know, it's I. This really was the the point for me where I realized that I'm I'm in love with with cinema. I'm in love with the theater and watching movies and watching people tell a story, behind, you know, before my eyes. And you know, I was excited to see what was going to be next. I mean, I know in a couple months after this movie, a couple months later, The Incredible Hulk was going to be was going to be a movie that was out too. And we just thought it was going to be a one off. But I'll talk about The Incredible Hulk on my next podcast for MCU. But there's a you know there's an Easter egg in that one too where they where Tony Stark comes in and that's when you realize like, okay this is something a little bit bigger than what I thought You know, it's there, there's something going on here and I'm excited to see the next movie and this was back then where they were putting out like two three movies a year you had uh, this movie and then you had well actually they had two movies this year they had two movies in 2000 uh, I think 2010 I think they had one in 2009 two in 2010 one in 2011 and then one in 2012 which was the Avengers but now you're getting like two to three movies a year so that gap is a lot less than what it used to be but still it's 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 just really it was really exciting for me because i i was i was excited to learn more about something i had no idea about and i i didn't know that it would become one of my my passions moving forward so it was a lot of fun um all right to explain the movie a little bit better i'm going to get into some of the categories let's do it all right we're going to get into the categories uh as usual first category best scene so this is what I, you know, I tell you the different scenes that I'm really interested in the movie, and then I pick my favorite one in that movie. You know, the scene where I'm just like, hey, I, this is on. I'm watching it all the way through. I'm excited about it, and I might rewind it a few times because I'm that nerdy. All right, first, first scene for uh, best scene. I have when Tony builds his suit in that cave with uh, the Professor Sinjin, or Professor, the Scientist Sinjin. So literally, you know, Tony's basically, he's, he's not dying, but he's not in really good shape. Those terrorists, they give him a whole bunch of metal. They say, "Build us weapons." And uh, the guy who was translating for him, Sinjin, says that he won't do it. But he shakes his head up and down, saying that he'll do it. So you know, these terrorists are thinking that he's going to be building this, these weapons for them. But he's actually, you know, building the very first Iron Man suit, Mike, uh, Mark Mark One. And then when he busts out of that cave and he's killing all those guys and he flies, it's just a really cool thing, you know, because you didn't really. You didn't expect the movie to kind of go like that. You knew he was going to become Iron Man, but I, not me, never reading the comics. I just thought that scene was really cool. The next best scene is when he actually makes his first Iron Man suit, like the suit, suit, the one with the Jarvis technology in it and everything, and that's that first flight. That first flight is it's really interesting uh, because you know he's he's kind of beta testing a lot of the the, the bells and whistles within his suit. You know, his uh, his hand reactors, his feet reactors, I guess the thrusters. He literally pushes the suit to the limits, you know, way up into the atmosphere to the point where it freezes. He freezes, and he's falling from the sky, you know, because Jarvis won't turn back on. The suit's basically a piece of metal falling from the sky. Eventually, Jarvis turns back on. He regains, you know, pressure of the suit, and he, he's able to get out of there and, you know, blast off, and, you know, he's completely fine. But the scene was really cool because, and even re-watching it, you know, we're in 2020, and this was made in 2008. That CGI is fantastic. You know when he's inside that Iron Man suit and you just see his face, it looks like the suit's really there. I you know I'm not really sure how they did that in 2008, but that CGI is it's, it's fantastic. It's I think it's better CGI in that movie in 2008 than we had for Infinity War in 2000 uh, 2018 with Mark Ruffalo in the uh, the Hulk Buster uh, Iron Man suit. I don't know why that looks so weird with with Mark Ruffalo in that Hulkbuster suit, but it just doesn't look nearly as clean as when Tony Stark was in that Iron Man suit. I mean, it, it's it looks great. It was it was really fun. You know, and uh I think with Jarvis has that line. He's like, "What color do you want would you like to paint it, sir?" He says, "Uh put a little hot rod red in there." "Oh, yes, very inconspicuous." You know, it's just kind of it's just a little funny throwaway lines like that. Next best scene is that first mission where Tony he flies off to the Middle East after he sees that that gang that that uh, that terrorist group that captured him had a village basically held hostage. You know they're about to take all these these males from this village, and actually the main leader was gonna you know kill this guy in the street like a dog. Iron Man gets there, saves him, kills all those guys, blows them up, and in true superhero fashion blows up a rocket, hits the hits a tank of these these terrorists, then walks away real slow. And the tank blows up behind him, and it's it's a it's a fucking sick shot. I mean, if you haven't seen that, I know if you have the shots, it's iconic. You know, it's like the CGI looks amazing. Iron Man looks like he's really walking somewhere. The explosion is good. It just looks really badass. You know, because the Iron Man suit obviously it shows no uh, no emotion, so it's just a plain face, and he's just walking away real slow. And you know, he could fly away, but it just it's something that you know Tony Stark would really do, and it just looks really badass. So I really love that scene. Uh, Next best scene is the fight with Iron Monger. You know, you really see what Tony Stark's capable of in that Iron Man suit. It's fun watching Iron Monger or Elbadiah Stane fight Tony and, you know, get real quippy with him because Jeff Bridges is really quippy. He's good with the dialogue and that was really fun. You know, it's, and it's, it's honestly, it's it's a good fight scene. You know, it is what it is. It's, it's kind of dark and that's kind of my issue with it. But other than that, it's, it's a good fight scene. There's a lot of emotion in that. And the final best scene for me is the last scene of the movie. In the scene where Tony's at the press conference and he's talking to the press about what happened at his lab and when he announces that he's Iron Man, he, he says he's Iron Man and then the movie cuts to black. I, I can't even explain to you guys how crazy I thought this was when I was 15, 16 years old, whenever I watched in 2008, how Tony Stark, the entire movie, you think he's trying to you know, hide his identity, not tell people who he is, and then at the very movie, he's just like, oh yeah, I'm Iron Man, that's me. It just it completely flipped everything that I understood about movies on its head, you know, after watching the Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy, and Peter Parker was trying so hard to make sure that nobody knew who he was, I just thought it was insane that Tony Stark was willing to be like, yeah, I'm that dude, you know, it's, you know, mess with me, you know, let's come on, let's go, let's get it. I just thought it was interesting. But to me, the best scene in the movie is definitely that first mission. That first mission—it just—it's—it's it's everything, you know. It's when when he's when he's watching what's going on in the news before he gets over to the Middle East to confront that terrorist group, and he just looks real mad, and he's messing with his suit, and he's tightening it up, he's you know loosening, tightening up some screws, fixing a couple of things, to the point where he kills those guys, he blows up the the tank, and he's just walking away slowly when. Uh, The explosion goes on behind him. It's just an amazing scene. It just looks visually amazing. It's super stunning. So, to me, it's my favorite scene. So, next category we got here is part of the movie that takes you out of the movie. And this one's kind of unfortunate, but it is what it is. The fact that Terrence Howard is Rhodey in this movie takes me out of the movie. You know, if you don't know, Terrence Howard is actually really good in this movie. I think he's really good as Rhodey in this movie. But You know, there are a few reasons why he didn't come back as Rhodey. I think the main one being just money. So Don Cheadle assumes the role of of Rhodey for the rest of the MCU. And it's just really jarring. You know, when you go back and watch Iron Man, you're just like, okay, well, this guy isn't here anymore. You know, he's not in the MCU anymore. And this happens, and this, it's, and, you know, Rhodey's a main character. It's kind of like when Ed Norton played Bruce Banner in The Incredible Hulk, and then that was eventually recast to Mark Ruffalo in The Avengers. It's kind of, you kind of you don't it it, the replay value for the incredible hulk is it's low because of that reason because ed norton didn't fulfill his his role of being uh bruce banner throughout the mcu and it's kind of the same for this because honestly terrence howard i think was really great don Cheadle's great too but i just wish that they would have come to some sort of agreement and terrence howard could have played roadie the entire time or don Cheadle could have played because it does kind of take me out whenever i go back and watch this movie and Terrence Howard is and not Don Cheeto. So, the Stole the Show award for me, that's an award where it can't go to like a main cast member. It's got to go to a member that's not maybe, you know, the main player. It's kind of tough in this movie. There's not a lot to pick from, so I'm kind of going to go against the rules on this one. I'm going to pick Jeff Bridges as the Stole the Show award winner. Uh, his his role of Obadiah Stane, he completely crashes it. I mean, he's he's really menacing in a way that only Jeff Bridges can be with his low, you know, his, his weird kind of dialect of talking. And his head's bald in this movie, which is kind of weird too because, you know, you normally he's got like that full head of hair and all the other movies he plays in. Um, but it, it's just, there's that scene with Pepper where Pepper's trying to upload some things onto her disc and Obadiah goes in there. And it's just completely unsettling because you know that Obadiah knows that Pepper knows that he's a bad guy. And you know that Pepper knows that he's a bad guy. And it's just, it's really unsettling. And he just completely kills that scene. So I, he's definitely, for me, the stole the show award guy on that one. Uh, we're we're kind of doubling up. The next award's the recasting couch. And again, there's no one I would recast in this movie. I think it's cast perfectly. I don't think you can... It's As I go through with my MCU movies, it's going to be tough to do the recasting couch. Simply because... Uh, you know these these characters have been in multiple movies so it's kind of hard to see them as anybody else but the only recasting couch option i would have for this one is to have don Cheeto be roadie from the very beginning you know to not have Terrence howard in the movie at all because like i said before it's kind of rough watching this movie only for the parts that terence howard's not because he's bad he's actually great i really like the way that he portrays uh Rhodey in this movie but it's just it's tough because you know he's not him moving forward and i just like continuity you know The MCU did as good of a job as they could, but because of contract issues and a little bit of... uh, I think there was an issue that he had with RDJ as well, where RDJ didn't return his his calls after Terrence had an issue with the studio. Terrence left the production altogether. Uh, Next category, I'm going to talk about some of the facts of the movie. Uh, One fact that's really interesting to me is this movie was originally made. They weren't sure how successful it was going to be, but the main purpose of it, because like I said earlier in the pod the marvel as a production company was they were kind of in the tank so they originally made iron man to be able to sell toys you know they they wanted to sell new toys and they could make a lot of money on that so that was the main reason why they wanted to start marvel studios is to make more money through their toys and a lot of companies have kind of done that in the past i think disney does that the best now with their disney princesses and stuff like that and all their star wars toys but yeah that that was the main reason Another interesting fact is Robert Downey Jr. was actually not the first person that they had in mind to play Tony Stark. They actually wanted Tom Cruise and they wanted Nicolas Cage. Those were the two names that could have been Tony Stark. And oh my God, would those have been way worse versions of this movie. If RDJ is not cast as Tony Stark in Iron Man, I don't think that we get the MCU. I don't think that it becomes successful enough or you know, commercially positive enough by critics and fans everywhere to where we would be getting more iron man movies the avengers captain america thor i don't think that that happens without rdj and rdj the reason why he won the job and because he did a little bit of research on tony stark to begin with so when he showed up for a screen test you know in basically his audition he showed up in a full tuxedo he was where he was in character as soon as he dropped onto the film stage and he won the heart of everyone. He won the heart of Kevin Feige. He won the heart of John Favreau, the director, uh, the other producers involved, the casting agency, everything. You know, he completely killed that. And he's the re that that's the main reason why he. And if you haven't seen his screen test, I advise you go into YouTube and look up RDJ screen test Iron Man. It's like a two and a half to three minute clip, and it's just of him basically being Iron Man before he was Iron Man. You know, it was just a screen test, and it's it's phenomenal. I mean, he just. You can tell he's so comfortable in that role. He's really putting himself into the mind of the character, and it just—it looks great. So it's—it's—it's it's, it's really, to me, it's it's really really cool. Uh, the next category we're gonna be talking about, second to last, is the nitpicks. So, one of my biggest nitpicks with the film, even though it's one of my favorite scenes, it's also one of the biggest blunders of the film is the cave scene. How do those terrorists not know that Tony Stark isn't making them weapons? You know, they have. Video surveillance. They should have done a better job surveilling him. <laughs> I mean, like he's literally not doing anything that that they, they want him to be doing. They basically they got themselves killed because they weren't very good at being horrible people. They needed they needed to be just a little bit more horrible and a little bit more terrible. But instead, they were just bad at what they do. And uh, Iron Man just killed them all. So you know, it's pretty cool. Uh, n- another nitpick. It's as, when when Tony Stark comes back. From being held captive, he says, I want two things. I want a press conference, and I want an American cheeseburger. So he's eating cheeseburgers at this press conference. The thing that doesn't hold up well for me is he picks Burger King. You know? (laughs) I mean, okay. This movie's based in California. You can't get, you know, an In-N-Out. You can't get, like, an actually, you know, decent burger. I just don't think the Burger King thing holds up that well. He could have had, you know, a lot of different types of burgers. But they chose... Burger King for some reason I don't know it just on rewatch it just doesn't hold up that well uh again nitpick the fact that Rhodey isn't the same actor that's that's always going to bug me and if Don Cheeto plays Rhodey in Iron Man 1 Iron Man 1 might be a top three film in, in the Marvel movies but because of the lack of continuity it just man it just bugs me I don't know why it does it just it just bugs me I just I need that continuity and my final nitpick is the fact that the movie does what so many MCU movies have wound up doing later on you kill your main villain. How cool would it be to have Obadiah Stane still alive and want vengeance on Tony Stark? You could have had Obadiah Stane be the main villain or the puppet villain in Iron Man 3 or Iron Man 2, both those movies having very weak villains, and you could have had him basically pulling the strings on another main Iron Man villain, you know, from a distance or from jail or something like that. I think that was a missed opportunity, especially because Jeff Bridges is so awesome, but again... You know, I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here. They didn't know what they had. They didn't know what was going on. And they they did the best that they could. And honestly, it's 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 a great movie. So nitpicking this movie is kind of tough for me. It's like, you know, how parents say you can't pick your favorite child. It's, it's really one of those things for me. Um, and then the final category, who won the movie? Is this even a question? You know, I mean, I'm, I'm posing the question to myself, so I guess I'm going to give myself a rhetorical answer. Uh, it's Robert Denny Jr., uh, you know, period, exclamation point, you know, dot, dot, dot. It's it's Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. didn't have a career, you know, leading up to 2008. Then he has Iron Man, and he has Tropic Thunder in the same summer, and then all of a sudden Robert Downey Jr. becomes the highest paid actor after he makes all that money making all the different, you know, mar- uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. He becomes a household name. He's beloved by audiences everywhere. He made me cry like a little baby in Endgame when he died. <laughs> you know, it's just... He completely wins this movie, and he's the Godfather. Him and John Favreau and Kevin Feige can't can't discredit Kevin Feige, but Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau are the Godfathers of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They painted this beautiful picture of this beautiful mar- uh, movie universe that you know fans like me can just immerse himself in. They can, we can talk about the movies that exist. We can talk about future movies. We can talk about characters we want to see. Characters that we could have done better, but these two individuals literally, you know, have given me hours and hours and hours of just fun content, fun stuff to watch, fun stuff to, you know, love. And I, 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 I can't imagine anybody else being able to do that besides Robert Dan Jr. For, so for me, he absolutely wins the movie. And, you know, I, I thank him for, for doing this. You know, I'm, I'm I guess it sounds kind of weird, but nah, it's, you know, this, this movie for me is kind of cathartic you know I like I said earlier this is the movie for me where I found out that I I love this I love movies I love superhero movies I love being able to theorize before this movie I I didn't know any about any of that you know and I always thought that it was kind of a nerdy thing to kind of you know gush about movies but I, I love it and it's all because of Iron Man and it's all because of Robert Denny jr well guys that's the movie talk for Iron Man uh, I hope you guys like it. Let me know what you think in my DMs, or if you wanna, if any of my friends or anything want to say anything, just go ahead and text me. I don't really care. <laughs> uh, but no, please uh, follow on my 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 Instagram page. It's at cam cast, K A M K A S T. If you like what you heard here, please check out my other episodes. I got three other uh, movie talk episodes. I have Warrior, I have the Karate Kid 1984 version, and I have Remember the Titans. And look forward to more MCU movies coming up in the future. And as promised, I'll be doing a Kobe Bryant centered podcast with my friend in, I think, a week and a half in time for Kobe's birthday and the following day, Kobe Day, which is day 24, and Kobe's birthday is day 23. So, you know, as always, guys, please like, share, subscribe to the podcast. And, uh, and I guess that's it for me tonight, guys. You know, thank you so much for listening again. Peace and love.